Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is meta, self-aware, self-conscious and self-loathing. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We have some real news and our main review is Scream. Just Scream. Yeah, it is. <laughs> very well, very well summarised. Sorry about the yeah. long pause there. Just didn't know where to go. How are you, Dan? I'm all right, Jim. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Not much to report other than my absolute disdain for my local supermarket. Supermarkets always feature quite heavily in this podcast, don't they? Because it's the only thing that we do that we're allowed to talk about. Can't talk about work. Um, Yeah, there's a guy, right, in my local co-op, and he's the most unenthusiastic, hard to deal with, no manners at all, son of a bitch I've ever come across. He's so rude. And I asked him for some cigarettes the other day. And I said, can I have blah, blah, blah? You don't need to know what I smoke. And he went, no, you can't. Just no, you can not. Sorry, no, we don't have those in stock. No, you can't. And I thought, what is with your attitude? Like, this is the basics of customer service right now. So I've had to deal with him a few times, right, which has annoyed me. I went back in the other day. New face, lovely young woman, very polite. Oh, hello. Blah, blah, blah. I thought this is brilliant. Brand new experience. Get to the end of the transaction. I've got two bottles of wine in my hand, right? Not just for me. Okay. I also have my son in my arms as well. Son in my arms, two bottles of wine. I said, Can I have a bag, please? She proceeded to just place the bag on top of the counter and watch me fiddle trying to open this bag with a child in my hands. It's not possible. Bag it up for me. Bag it up for me. No effort. Well, she just watched me struggle. I'm just so... I don't want to shop there again. I just don't. But I have to, because it's the only thing in close proximity. It's just, what is wrong with people, James? The world's gone mad. That is mad. That is mad. They, they mustn't... Maybe she doesn't have bagging in her job. She just is determined not to do it. But when did that change? That's part of being in that role, isn't it? Is you bag stuff up for customers. So basic, if you're on the right? if you're on the till, well, she was she was serving me. Bag it up. I don't I don't think it is. I've never seen the people on the till put things in bags. I think it depends on who you get, and basically, you go to this specific co-op. Doesn't matter who you get, you're gonna have a terrible, terrible experience. <sighs> anyway, are you okay though? I'm okay. Yeah, we have an opposite problem in an hour Tesco because there is a guy who is too friendly. He is far too friendly and we actively avoid him. We don't want to have a conversation every time we go to Tesco. Happy with some smiles. Are you in the car park? Yes. Do you need any bags? No. I'm using the Tesco Pay Plus app. I'm presenting you with the app. I'm not giving you just the club card. It's the Pay Plus app. Why are you so confused? I don't want a big conversation. There's this guy that just goes way too far. And he always has a longer queue because he takes too much time. What what sort of question is, are you in the car park? Because you get a car park uh, voucher to scan, to validate parking for free. Ah, right. Specific to that Tesco. I've never encountered that myself, but okay, that makes sense. Tesco Pay Plus, is that the new method of payment that's just come out, which is not cash or card? No, it's been out for a while, but no, it's not cash or card. You have an app on your phone that is linked to your club card and your 
bank. So you present the, the QR code and that will be a club card payment. So you, you're paying and you're scanning your club card at the same time. Oh, fantastic. How, how convenient. That is brilliant. Tesco really do go the extra mile in the aisles, sponsored by Tesco. That fulfills our contractual obligations. James, what have you been watching this week? I have been watching the final season of The Expanse, season six, a truncated season, only six episodes, not ten. Bit of a shame, but still, it delivers on the same quality that we've come to expect. Obviously difficult to talk about without spoiling the previous five seasons. It's based on a series of books. It was on the Sci-Fi channel. Now it's on Amazon Prime. They've decided we're not going to spend money on fictional space. We're going to spend money on sending William Shatner to space, which is a shame. It is about the tale of humanity hundreds of years into the future where they've developed space travel. They've got people set up on Mars. They have people living in the asteroid belt, the belters who are the oppressed, marginalised people that are living in a, in a resource-scarce environment where air and water is precious. And it's initially about the tension between people of Earth, people of Mars, and the belters. But the way that the story evolves, it's all based on novels, of course, the way that things evolve in such a completely logical way that builds on that simple setup where you've got these factions making these decisions, the emergence of different military powers who are doing things is what I'm all about. I absolutely love it. And you throw in the hard sci-fi element where it's not just about fantasy spaceships shooting each other they really tried to make what they're doing realistic. So there was a space battle in episode three where it was a one on three, but they all had to consider the range of their respective weapons and having to pull off these turns and the effects that would have and how it's difficult to aim if you're turning a lot. And they tried to do it so realistically and that makes it all so much better. All the characters are so perfectly realized. They all behave in a way that fits their character they all behave like adults. All the performances the, by season six are all so settled into their characters that you fully believe in what they're doing. I love this program, The Expanse. To me, it's going to go down as one of the best pieces of sci-fi TV ever, ever. And yes, it reaches an end, but they can keep it going. And I just really, really hope that if the Lord of the Rings TV series fails, they can put some money into making more seasons of the expanse instead i've been toying with watching this for quite a while because i know a lot of people sing its praises i might be misquoting someone here but based on something i heard ages ago is the first season a bit of a slog it's not a slog but it's definitely a slow start right okay but it's worth bit, it yeah you can see the cheapness of it in the first season where they've found a warehouse they've put some cheap looking sci-fi stuff in the warehouse and said this is a space colony but it's not doesn't really look good but believe me the, the story and the characters is what makes it so great because even now in season six or in all the other seasons when they do cg space battles it's not the best cg you've ever seen not even on tv but it's fine because it's about the story 
And it's not about the space battles. I'm talking about space battles, but really it's about the strategic decisions that people are making and the characters' relationships with each other and the, the different shifts that they go through. And because in TV, it's supposed to be where with each season, new things happen and you get to the end of a season, you think that there's some, been some real progress here. Things have changed. And that's what The Expanse is like. Unlike something like Lost, where it just drags and drags and drags and drags. Yeah. You can tell it's based on books where each book, significant things are happening because it's a whole new book. Yeah, it's not a lot of writers in the... Uh, script writers in the writer's room just making up last minute how to tie things all together. It's got a, a foundation to work on. Oh, that's, that's yeah. good to know. Very good. And how can we watch The Expanse? Watch it on Amazon Prime. Uh, another completely pointless question, just my curiosity. What's the most, no or who is the most notable face in this, if anyone? Anyone famous? Thomas Jane. Okay. Yes, I know full well who you mean. And one of the most underrated actors of all time, Jared Harris. Oh, I did not know he was in this. Okay. Right. I may well check it out. Anything else you want to persuade me on or not? Toast of Tinsel Town. Now, Toast of London had a three-season run, a comedy, starring Matt Berry in what has been called one of the most iconic and brilliant and funny comedy creations of the past 10 years. So Toast of London ran from 2012 to 2020, like with on and off seasons. And now, Toast of Tinseltown. So Matt Berry plays Stephen Toast. And he's a, a jobbing actor, a journeyman, not really having much success. He mainly does voiceover work with the occasional role that he thinks is going to be his breakthrough role, but it never is. So in Toast of Tinseltown, can you guess where he goes? Suffolk. He goes to Hollywood. So he gets a job from his useless agent to go to Hollywood to have a role in the next Star Wars film. And there's a running joke where every every time Stephen Toll says, I'm going to be in the new Star Wars film, whoever he's talking to, whether it's an, like a movie producer or a waitress, he says, I'm going to be in the new Star Wars film. They always say, oh, yeah, yeah, right, okay, mm-hmm, yeah. And it's a running joke for the whole six episodes of no, this, they all seem to know that something's not quite right. In each episode, he goes into completely bizarre, surreal situations. One episode, he goes to a Orson Welles' wine-tasting bar, and he has some wine-tasting with Orson Welles, and it's all in black and white. And Orson Welles and his lifelong rival, Ray Bloody Purchase, criticises his wine-tasting techniques or lack of proper wine-tasting techniques. There's a lot of surreal stuff going on. And one of the things that I love the most about this program is the names of the characters. So they managed to draw comedy out of absolutely everywhere. So here's some character names. Russ Nightlife, Clem Fandango, Blair Toast, Agent Saucepan, and Dr. Harold Shipman. <laughs> so there's, there's a doctor who he looks like Harold Shipman. I think this is the joke. He looks like Harold Shipman and he says, oh... I get that all the time. People always mistake me for Harold Shipman over to his desk and his name is also Harold Shitman. So they double up on the on the joke and 
they just they find comedy everywhere. So rather than just take it, rather than just having them have mobile phones, Stephen Toss has an old '80s style mob giant mobile phone, but you can still text on it, and it's not set in the past. It just is funnier to have an '80s style phone. I think it's it's full on genius. This program I've watched Afterlife season three this week, and it's fine. But Toast of Tinseltown is on another level comedy wise. And it's on the BBC, I should have said at the start. You didn't even mention the name that really got me laughing. What was it? Can't remember the first name, but say Paul Dubladecker. To which. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dubladecker. And he says, he says double decker, but then he's corrected. No, you must say Dubladecker. He'll be very unhappy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've not finished it yet. I've quite enjoyed what I've watched of it. Weird, isn't it? The I, I was trying to think of another programme that's done this move from one channel to another because this started on Channel 4, didn't it? But now it's a BBC thing. The only yeah. thing that I could think of was All Creatures Great and Small, which has gone from, I think, the BBC to Channel 5. Um, there's more. There is definitely more, but it's, yeah. it's, it doesn't happen very often, that, does it? No, it doesn't. And the expanse from sci-fi to Amazon Prime, but it, it doesn't happen very often at all. Yeah. No. Something to note about Toast of Tinseltown is that there are some American people in it, like Fred Armisen from Portlandia, Rashida Jones, notable cameos from American comedians. And I wonder why this is. Is it because that Matt Berry was doing the vampire program? What we do in the shadows. And he's made, they've all made friends with Americans and they've decided, oh, come, like, we'll do, we'll do, we'll make a program with you because we love you. That's what I took it to be as well. You get uh, Larry David, don't you? Curb your enthusiasms. Larry David crop up in episode one as well. Very small cameo, but it's quite funny. Uh, I'm glad you've liked that. I'm, I'm definitely going to see it through and watch the rest. Yeah. I binged watched it in two days, which I regret because I wish I'd taken the time because this, this squeeze comedy out of absolutely everything. It's it's so rich with visual jokes as well. As ever, you pointed out the absurdity of it, and I, I don't think it's going to be for everyone. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I think if you do have, you know, you like a bit of oddness in your comedy, you'll, you'll appreciate this. It's worth watch. Anything else? I did watch Mother Android, finally released in the UK on Netflix, but it was so without note that I'm just not going to talk about it. Uh, and just to pad out the running time, Afterlife, were you planning on talking about that next week or is it just not worth nope. really going just, into? Just going to just going to leave it. Okay. But worth watching? There, there is, yeah, worth watching. There is, there is, I think there is stuff that we watch that we just choose not to talk about. Yeah. Okay. What have you been watching? Well, first off, I probably made mention of uh, Hype House. You uh, encouraged me to watch it. Only one episode last week. As a reminder, it's the reality TV show where a bunch of influencers manufacture moments for their followers. I, I couldn't make it past the 15-minute mark. It, it was truly abhorrent. Um, <laughs> there's more cuts in those 15 minutes than all of last year's films combined. I just found everyone on, on it just deplorable i didn't want to see anymore i completely agree with what you were saying but i think 15 minutes was enough for me i don't want to spend any more time with those people um 
On to things I spent a bit more time with. The Puppet Master, not the 80s horror film or a homage to Jim Henson. It's a, a Netflix crime documentary that isn't about murder. It's about a British con man who wreaks havoc on the lives of various individuals across a 30-year time period. First thing to note, because we've pointed it out in the past, or at least I've brought it up, three episodes. Netflix is, is very guilty of overindulging and, and dragging things on too long. This one, not the case, just the right length. I think it's about two and a half hours in total, and that was that was bloody lovely. I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed this. It's about a man named Robert Freegard, and in the mid-'80s, he manages to convince a college friend that he works for MI5, the IRA after him and his family, and now he's got to uproot him and his girlfriend's life and go on the run. That is completely fabricated, of course, in case you haven't guessed, and it's just a ruse to get the people to completely depend on him, rinse them for all the money, and psychologically torture them into submission, I guess. Uh, flash forward to early 2010s, you've got a single mother who meets this guy on a dating site who is Robert Freegard under a different name. Five years later, she completely abandons her family and disappears with him, never really to be heard of again. And you go between these two different timelines or events, and it just shows you like the magnitude of this deception and that the sort of knock-on effects it has to the surrounding people involved, like the families. Come the final episode, you don't get a full conclusion with it. It is still ongoing, but that just makes it all the more terrifying, really. How, how can this man, who has done so much wrong, still be free and potentially holding people against the will? Uh, very eye-opening, and as it's not murder-related, I normally wouldn't have given this time of day, but I did, and I'm glad I did. It's, uh, it's fascinating. It's worth a watch. I considered this as well. Three episodes of different lengths, I noticed. Is, is like one of them only 27 minutes? Yeah, I think it's 48, 27, 48 again. So, yeah, well, that was a bit odd, but there you go. Yeah. Well, they wanted to do three episodes, didn't have the content. Talked about doing two, then said, no, it has to be three. But didn't feel the need to unnecessarily pad it out, so that was welcome. It's good. I think, well, you've... you've, I did... I did put it aside because when i've tried to watch netflix crime documentaries recently i just thought to myself you're looking through wikipedia and picking out crimes at random and making documentaries out of them but this sounds good it is, it is. what else have you been watching rules of the game and i'm going to preface this review by saying it might land me in shit um this is the bbc's latest binge worthy drama that aims to literally cover every single problem that the female species deals with from both a professional and personal perspective. You've got sexism, abuse, coercive control, menopause, awkward social interactions at book clubs. The list goes on. Although the crux of it is that a HR director, Maya, who's played by Raki Thakra, she's one of the teachers in sex education, she uncovers a possible cover-up as she joins this very male-dominated business. And she locks horns with the company's CPO, who's played by Maxine Peake, who I've met. Didn't speak to her, just literally from afar. Um, and she's keen on sweeping these past indiscretions under the rug as the company is set to float and finally go public. 
Maxine Peak is very good in this, by the way. Two very fine roles in quick succession. I think she's been applauded for her acting in the Hillsborough drama that I'm struggling to remember the name of uh, just a few weeks ago. And in this, she gives a really fine performance as well. There's some very subtle micro expressions that when you understand what's going on later on in the series, you know that it's very well considered and layered performance without you even realising. Anyway, it's it's about gender politics, which is where I say this might get me into hot water and the, the expectations that are put on women. You know, the, the pressure they're under in the working environment, it's, it's all there, but that's the under-the-surface stuff. It's essentially a mystery drama, and the mystery is the cover-up I referred to, and it involves an employee who met, like, an untimely death on a night out about 10 years previous. And the after-effects of that are still being felt in the business. As a mystery drama, it's, it's perfectly watchable, but I couldn't help but find it a bit too morally skewed and more than one-sided with the agenda that it's pushing. I get the messaging... I know what you're trying to get across. I just couldn't help but question how progressive this is, really. Have you reviewed that in recognition of the 25th anniversary of Princess Diana walking across the minefield? Because you have just walked across a minefield. Did I come out the other side, though? That's that's. I don't. Well, we can only. These are time delayed mines, so we you'll only know if they've blown up in a, a week's or a year's or 10 years time. I don't want us to lose listeners. And and let me say, being full on honest, I don't disagree with some of the messaging. I just don't like, as I say, how one-sided it was. It just, there's no, there's no balance there. That's the bit that I didn't like. And maybe people will appreciate that it's highlighting certain issues. And I do, but I just think the way in which it's handled is a bit poor. Yeah. It's about how it works as a piece of media that you're talking about. And that's an important distinction to make, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not on my own. I, I don't know if the, I don't know if the criticisms against it are about what I've just outlined, but it has been absolutely blasted. I think it, it's gone up a bit, but last week it had 4.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which is what not is it called again? Rules of the game. All I saw was some news articles saying people are switching off due to bad acting, which I don't actually agree with. Um, but yeah, that that was just my thoughts. Okay, well, it got it got four stars in the Guardian, so you're on the wrong side of history. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't uh, wish to hedge the bets on walking through the minefield, did they? So no. Have you been watching anything else? No, I haven't. Shall we blast off into real news? Yes. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Blast off. Why did I say blast off? Because a film studio in space is planned for 2024. Space Entertainment Enterprise, co-producers of Tom Cruise's forthcoming space hyphen set, space set. It's a compound adjective. Film have announced a production studio 250 miles above Earth. That's the blur, that's the top under the headline bit from The Guardian. I don't think there's any more any more detail. The module will dock on Axiom Station, which is the commercial wing of the ISS, and then it will separate eventually from ISS in 2028. Because civilization will have collapsed. 
by then. I think you'd be an optimistic with 2028, if I'm honest. In yeah. This yeah. Will the gimmick wear off, though, really? I mean, is our space scenes unconvincing at the moment? Is that is that the problem that they're trying to solve? I mean, to call back to a film that's... How old is it now? Seven years old? I've no idea. Gravity, that was convincing. I mean, what have I got to compare it to? I've never been to space, but it looked pretty convincing to me for what I would imagine space would look like. I don't think it's necessary. The novelty, yeah. the, the Tom Cruise venture, I'm interested to see that. And, and does it look very different to what space looks like now when it's manufactured in films? But I, I don't see it being something that is heavily relied upon going forward. Yeah, Unless they did it for documentaries, if they did if they did documentaries about research in space that you do in a, in a film studio, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. Well, remains to be seen. Watch this space. Nice. What real news have you got? Richard Linklater is doing what he's done before. He filmed Boyhood. If anyone has seen that film, over a twelve-year period, and he's attempting to do the same again but over 20 years this time. Beanie Feldstein is one of the stars of this. They've already shot part of it, and it's an adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's 1981 musical, Merrily We Roll Along. Um, so they're going to revisit this every two years with the same set of actors and release it in 20 years. Certainly an interesting concept, and I'll be curious to see it. I'm not going to hype myself up for 20 years, though. I don't think it's worth it. The only thing that I was thinking is this is a surefire way to ensure that you remain relevant as an actor for at least the next 20 years. That That is a very, very solid thing to sign on to because you're never going to be out of the eye of the public. Well, you are, maybe for 20 years. Um, that is a long time to gamble as well, isn't it? Who's to say someone doesn't get dragged into some sort of historic sexual abuse claim within that time? The, the likelihood is, is high. So. Mm. Mm, ambitious but yeah you interested i'm interested in that well i say i'm interested i've not watched boyhood so i should really watch boyhood and then i'll get then i'll get hyped yeah last one i wasn't going to bring up weird al yankovic is getting a biopic made about him with daniel radcliffe set to star as weird al yankovic yes i never never realized he was that famous Uh, well i did everyone knows the songs these parody songs that he made but yeah, I just, I just wouldn't have thought that warranted a film, but there we go. Yeah. Biopic. You, The way you pronounce bio, biopic is interesting. Uh, that's the second time I've noticed that. I don't think it's wrong, but it, it, it does sound unusual. It's the Boltonian pronunciation of it. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. Which inherently is wrong. Speaking of wrong, how wrong is it to do a sequel to a film that is titled the same as the original? Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Scream. There's certain rules to surviving. Believe me, I know. They always come back. The killer is a part of something in the past. This one just feels different. You're all in danger. 
Rules to reinvigorate a tired horror franchise. Number one, it always goes back to the past. So find everything that made the original successful, rinse and repeat every single element of it. Number two, never trust the audience to be in any way intelligent. You must signpost and over-explain to the nth degree. Number three, absolutely any character can die with the notable exception of those likely to inspire fan backlash. Number four, just like the body count, the box office must always be bigger than the previous film. And number five, even if the plot is uninspired and is unlikely to leave the audience asking for more, always leave the door open for future sequels. 25 years after a streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, Calif Onya, a new killer dons the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. So go on, James. I'm going to take a punt already and say you absolutely hated this film, but go on. What did you think about Scream? Well, what is my personal relationship with the Scream franchise? I watched the first one when you showed it to me back in the day on DVD. I'm fairly certain. I might have seen Scream 2. Definitely haven't seen the others. I remember the main theme, musical theme from Scream, because you used to listen to that quite a lot, if you remember. Anyway, Scream 5, 2022. The main point to discuss is obviously the meta commentary, the complete self-awareness of all the events. That means that there's no actual attachment to the events or the characters on screen. But that's not a problem because I had a lot of fun watching this film. They go full meta and have someone describe what a requel is and reference Star Wars and Halloween. And unlike the Matrix regurgitations, those ideas run through the whole film right to the end and all the characters are in on it because all the characters are aware of both the in-universe stab series of films and the recurring real-life events of people being killed. Everyone is referencing. They basically talk about the fact that they're in a film without saying that they're in a film. However, all that means that it's not scary. This is not a scary horror film. I don't think it's trying to be scary. I'd like to know what you think about that. When kills happen, it's more about fun watching people getting attacked in interesting ways and seeing, oh, look at the knife poking out the other side of his neck because the film is constantly telling you it's not serious. So it was hard for me to be scared, especially when there's a whole sequence where they tease jump scares and they know that you know where the jump scares might come and it's played for laughs. Melissa Barrera is a good protagonist. It's not Neve Campbell and Monica from Friends that are protagonists. It's Melissa Barrera, and she's very good, and it makes me wish that I had watched In the Heights that she was also in. Neve Campbell and Monica from Friends and former WCW champion David Arquette, suitably tired and unmotivated, 
for characters that are completely aware of how repetitive and pointless everything is. No, I'm kidding. They were good. They did deliver the comedy. They were, they were mostly doing comedy, which is part of my thing about how it's not really a horror film. There's a shot where Courtney Cox comes into shot when she's first introduced. She sort of appears from behind someone else. And it's like it's this dramatic reveal of the return of Captain America and Infinity War. But it's 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 the Scream franchise. It seemed like more of a joke than actual dramatic return of this legendary character. Not one of the best films I've seen recently, but some of the most fun I've had in a, in a cinema with an audience that were all in on the joke. Daniel, what did you think of Scream? So just tread old ground at first to set the scene. Um, obviously, hugely anticipating this film. The last few weeks would have shown that. Number one on my most looking forward to in 2022. And as we said in last week's review, early reviews good. General critic reviews once it was released were also good. All looking well. I went watching this opening night. It was a packed theatre, which was nice. Probably the fullest I've ever seen a screen since the pandemic days. Um, and everyone behaved, which was a massive bonus. So I was pleased with that. The 1996 screen was so influential in the horror genre. I don't probably have to tell people that, but it, it did reinvent things by being this really self-aware parody of the horror genre. And the joke was always, why did they make a scary movie, which is a parody of Scream, when Scream was a parody itself? It's like they'd missed the joke. And it obviously recognised the tropes and cliches and then subverts them. That's what it's all about. And it was very good at doing so. Scream 2 was a sort of continuation of the same thing, but it fell into the habit of becoming the very thing it was trying to comment on. Scream 3 did some interesting things with the Hollywood machine and churning out horror films based on horrific real-life events, again, being very matter, but it did lose its way. Scream 4, I don't even remember it. I tried what... I said I was going to do my homework. I started it, and I thought, I have no memory of this, even though it's, like, four years ago or whatever, and I gave up after 10 minutes. I couldn't be bothered. Anyway, Scream, 2022 Scream, I'll not beat around the bush. I thought it was okay it does go back to the heart of what made the first film great in that it's doing the same thing. It's deconstructing the horror genre. It's commenting on it again, but through the lens of modern cinema and how horror has evolved as a genre over time. And I think if you're going to recreate the magic of the first film, that is a very logical thing to do. And I'm not against that. The big problem for me is that it felt far more on the nose than the original Scream. It is not subtle at all. It's, in fact, really heavy-handed. That's not to say there isn't enjoyment out of that, but it isn't quite what I was expecting. I thought this would recognise what made the first film great and try and replicate that, and it does, but by going far too over the top with it. I do like the ideas that it's playing with and... Maybe it's because this isn't a new idea anymore. Maybe it's the delivery or the overuse. It did not land as successfully for me. And I do think that's down to that lack of subtlety. And maybe it's just not as astute as the first film in its observations. For example, there's a scene in which Dewey, David Arquette, gives the rules of surviving a horror to some teenagers, which is pretty standard for Scream. And I apologise for not remembering them specifically, but outside of that, never trust the boyfriend, the rest seemed very specific to the franchise universe 
and not necessarily the genre as a whole. So it it didn't resonate the way in which the first film did. And I also think, I don't know about you, I'm getting a bit of meta overload at the minute. We've had the Matrix Resurrections in recent weeks, Spider-Man No Way Home, and they're all knowing nods to, oh, this is what came before and let's embrace the history of these things. This is another example of that. And were it not for being so prominent at the minute, I might not have been so critical of it, which is obviously not the film's fault. It's just a victim of poor timing, I think. But it did grate on me a bit. Uh, another thing which you pointed out, the film fails to create any meaningful suspense. When the first film came out, because this, this is a hard thing to weigh up. I was young. I was a wee nipper. That means small child. And I was, I was susceptible to being a hell of a lot more scared than I would as a 36-year-old man. But it did work for me in being creepy and horrifying and clever. I loved it. This one, I might be immune to that sort of thing now, but there is no real tension in those scenes. And I think you're right. Maybe that's not the purpose of this, but I've not seen the original Scream for many, many years, but I do remember that landing differently and actually being scary. You mentioned the Mr. X it does with the music and teasing you as to when the jump scare is going to be, and it is played more for laughter. But because it did lean so heavily towards the laughter, I'm really surprised that this is an 18 certificate. I don't think it was ridicu uh, ridiculously gory. And you can get away with so much in a 15-rated film these days. I just don't think they took full advantage of that. I will give it some credit. It does, towards the end, evoke the first film in a very purposeful way, and it captures some of that frightening energy. But overall, I just felt this was a slightly above average horror film that was probably more successful as a comedy than a horror, like you said. It isn't boring. I was entertained. I do think it's fun. And like, again, as you said, the audience reception confirmed that for me. It was a very lively cinema with people lapping it up. Let's be honest, my expectations were too high. It was never going to reach those heights, but I'm very surprisingly lukewarm on this film. I just thought it was okay. Maybe it never could live up to your expectations, but you're not saying it's bad, are you? No, no, I'm not saying it's bad. It's, it's not bad. I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's great either. I think maybe our, our if we did ratings out of 10 or star ratings, maybe we'll be, we'd be pretty close. It's just we had different expectations. I, th I think you're right, actually. We're just coming at it from two completely different angles. One with huge love of the franchise, or the first film at least, and one not that connected to it. So let's test that theory, James. Give it a score out of 10. Out of 10? Six. Yeah. I think I'm there as well. Six. Okay. Maybe <laughs> maybe 6.5. You were you were bang on. We are, we are completely on the same page. Yeah. I did almost say seven then, but I thought seven seven is actually quite high as a rating out. Out of out of 10, 70% is a lot. So I said I said six. No, I agree. It's 70% is reserved for films that are well worth your time and are devoid of many flaws, really. One thing that we're not on the same page with. Melissa Barrera, I thought she was awful. I thought her acting was wooden. I didn't like her. I couldn't warm to her character. Maybe I need to see it again. But I was like, what are you doing in this? Please give me someone else. Didn't like her. It's no Patrick Bateman performance, but I think she delivered for what was needed in the role. I'm not going to say that she should be nominated for, nominated for anything. And I wouldn't go as far as saying she should be nominated for a Razzie, but it just wasn't, I don't think, on par with some of the other actors in this. 
as a lifelong fan of the franchise, when you see these veteran characters re- return, like Neve Campbell and Courtney Cox and her ex-husband, do you feel like, oh, these are, these are such great characters? So good to see them back. Yeah, I did, actually. I'm glad you asked me about that. I think the legacy stars, it, especially the Courtney Cox and David Arquette characters, obviously married in or together in the Scream universe and married in real life. I felt like those probably milked a bit too much moments between them were actually quite touching because you could sense that there's an actual history with them as a couple there, and there was a bit of real life bleeding into those moments. Probably not warranted in a screen film, but um, I did I did enjoy that, and it did make me feel emotionally attached to them. So, no, that worked for me, uh, and I, I was glad to see them all back. Yeah, I could feel that as well. I thought they were still... You know they're not married, though, don't you? Yeah, they're separated now, aren't they? Yeah, well, they have divorced completely as yes, of May 2013. Yeah, I think one of the, or both of them are remarried now, but obviously... A lot of history there. Yeah, and you you could see that see that on screen. Neve Campbell's character. I don't really get what her character is. They say that Thingy is a reporter. Uh, former WCW champion David Arquette. He's a cop. Neve Campbell is just a woman with a pram in a park, who <laughs> who comes back. Was she like? Was she a high school? She high schooler in the original. Is that her entire character? Yes, and it all kind of revolved around her. The motivation for the killing stems from her mother's promiscuity, promiscuity, shall we say, um, from memory. She's the Laurie Strode of the Scream franchise. She's the Jamie Lee Curtis from the Halloween universe in this. I know that you meant Halloween. You all right, have... okay, I don't know. You know I'm sure that was Halloween. for the benefit of the audience. Of but I only know that because we watched Halloween recently. I think the other thing is, is that we watched Halloween recently which tried so hard to bring in real-life issues, and Jamie Lee Curtis clearly thought it was some kind of serious piece of, of valuable art. Mm. It was bad. It was bad. So coming into this, I was happy that they were having a bit more fun. Yeah. And to be fair to them, the, you can tell the effort has gone into this. This isn't a lazy sequel. It's not. They've They've thought long and hard about how do they kind of capture what was good about the first one. And yes, all right, it didn't quite work for me, but I admire the respect that they have for the previous films and the fact that they utilise them well or the history of them well in this. So I'm, I'm not completely against it. Maybe it's because I don't know the history of the other three sequels, but I felt like they were primarily drawing on the history of the first film, like the assumed audience's knowledge of the first film is where a lot of stuff was coming from, like the opening, re- redoing the, the Drew Barrymore opening. Yeah, and it is, if in terms of required viewing, you can skip two, three, four, it's really not relevant. You could just do one and this. So basically watch Scream and Scream. Yeah, because they ref the, the killer from the first Scream film. I didn't, I couldn't have re- recalled his face on my own, but they show the killer from the first Scream. Yes, and that was like, oh, oh yeah, I remember the first screen film. Oh, yes, okay. But they don't try to refer to the other three, two, three, and four. No, not at all. I'll tell you why I thought you were going to hate this, by the way. So we went with a couple of friends of ours, Alex and his missus, and the reception was a real mixed bag. Me, on the fence. Him, loved it. Our partners both didn't like it. To the point where my missus actually hated this. Um, but she has no love 
for Scream at all. So that's understandable. Um, so just to offer you, you know, the, the, there will be mixed reaction to this. It's not just um, click up whether you're going to like it or not. I did want to add as well, first for me, James, the film went off twice for around six minutes a pop. So <laughs> blank screen, we're all sat there going, what's going on? And one of the ushers, whatever you want to call them these days, came in after six minutes. Like, really sorry, we've had a power surge. It'll be back on soon. Give them another few minutes. They rewound it. It went off at the exact same time again for a second time. And I was like, that is no power surge for it to happen yeah. at the exact same yeah. point. Don't must bullshit have been us. A, there must have been a scratch on the DVD at that, <laughs> that bit. Exactly. Nice thing at the end of that, we walk out, gives us all a free ticket just for the inconvenience. So effectively, this cinema experience was free. So that was good. Was it a free ticket for Scream again? <laughs> no, it was for whatever film you wish to uh, watch. So that's good. I just want to say more about the, the meta thing. So you're right, it's not a new idea. And it's been done since Deadpool. Deadpool self-awareness, Paul Burnham, inside. <laughs> and there's been comments and negative reviews saying that just being self-aware in itself is not clever. I didn't think it was clever. It was it was fun. It yeah. wasn't trying yeah. to be deep and failing. It was having a lot of fun with it. It was done a lot better than The Matrix, which does try to be deep and fails. I don't even I still don't know what The Matrix was trying to be. And it goes quite detailed and mentions toxic fans. How can fans be toxic? We're fans and Mary Sue is referenced. But it plays both sides by making fun of Hollywood being creatively bankrupt. So it, it just takes shots at everyone, which I liked. Yeah, it's, it is not without merit. And if I came across like that, I'm sorry, because there are good things about this. Daniel, would you recommend Scream? <sighs> not as confidently as I thought I was going to, but still, if you're a fan of the original films, there are things to appreciate in this. And I think even if it's got its shortcomings, yes. Okay. You? Yes, but I would suggest to watch it at the cinema. Yes. To enjoy that that laughter that you get. For a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> I do agree. I do agree. Do you want to go into spoilers and talk about the spoilery things that might be good? Yes. You're on about the fact that Neve Campbell is a killer. Yes. We're joking. Or are we? Mm. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. What happens? A young girl called Tara is attacked in Westboro. That draws her sister, Sam, to investigate. Other murders happen. The legacy characters come back. More people get killed. What's going on? Turns out, super fans of the franchise, Amber and Richie, who is Sam's boyfriend, they are the two, because there's always two, Ghostface killers. And as super fans, they wanted to create a new story in this stab series and frame Sam as the killer. And Sam is the secret daughter of the original killer from Scream. And the finale takes place in the original house from Scream, which I assume is what you were mentioning before. But of course, Richie and Amber, the killers, they are brutally killed. And Sam, who is the main protagonist, Melissa, Barrera and the legacy characters, they win the day, except David Arquette gets killed for failing to shoot someone in the head about halfway through. Which that's a fair summary. 
Yeah, very, very personally. Um, and as ever, better than I could have done. So thank you. So we'll start with the obvious, the killers. Did you call it? Was it a shock? I didn't call it. I didn't try to spend any mental energy on trying to guess who it was. Well, that was a redundant was, point to bring up. Yeah, because um, they, do, they, do, um, they do tell you in David Arquette's rules, it's always you've got to look at the boyfriend and they keep putting the boyfriend in suspicious situations. And maybe in the back of my head, I was thinking, this is so obvious it's not going to be him. I did think it will be one of that group, that young group of friends, of um, Tara's friends, one of whom is from Yellow Jackets, Mindy Meeks Martin. Yes, and I long curly hair. I loved her performance in this. I thought she was. I mean, I like her in Yellow Jackets, but I think she's one to watch. I thought she was very charismatic. She and... is, yeah, and she, she is. She's the most aware of how these films work. Did you guess the killers? The girl killer in the group? No, I did not. But Richie uh, or Jack Quaid from Boys. Uh, I did. I did guess that in the hospital scene. I'm not going to say I got it well ahead of time, but when. Shortly before Dewey gets killed, I was like, no, it's him. I don't care that he's getting attacked right now. I know you're in on it. I know it. Um, and I was proven right. Halfway there, I was. There's a nice mystery where Richie lies about not knowing about the Stab franchise. And he says, what is it? And then when they're in the hospital, he's watching it on Netflix. He says, I want to familiarise myself with it, mm. even though it's insensitive to watch it next to Tara, who's just been stabbed. And he's watching a YouTube video about the latest installment which is stab five and he said oh i'm just watching it to figure out what's going on he's actually watching it because he loves the series mm. and he can't stop watching it that's what's really going on yeah. he's lying about yeah. it that's the one thing that maybe i wouldn't have liked it if it was in here but the whole idea about toxic fandom and that that being the catalyst for these murders is an interesting one but it's literally planted with a line or two throughout the film it's not something that's explored much uh, and as i say if it was there maybe i wouldn't or it was more prominent i probably wouldn't have liked it but they, they don't they, they, is it that at the end richie just has a knife to someone's throat explains his motivation really quickly to say we're toxic fans and you, you'd ignore us and we're going to make we're going to rebuild the franchise that you have ruined it's just one quick explanation and that's it is that what you're saying yeah, because in the first film, obviously there are personal stakes uh, and real ones that are like your mom cheated on her, uh, her husband with my dad, and that's why the marriage fell apart. And this, that, and the other. There's actual substance to why these people are motivated. And I know that some people are pretty crazy, which is what this film's trying to get across. That this this could happen in this day and age, but I just don't think that idea was presented enough to deserve a payoff at the end and I'll score. Yeah, I buy all that. I just don't think yeah. It, it, it... Yeah. But I did like it. Um, and as I was alluded to before, it is sort of a mirror of that first film, the way it all... How it all unfolds and it's all very crazy and chaotic um, in that in this very same house that we had from the first film. It felt eerily similar to that. Um, and I did enjoy that aspect of it. I thought that was very well done. Yeah. Slight correction from about two minutes ago. The actress that is in Yellow Jackets and this is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Mindy's the character name. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I will do better. Just to mention meta, 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 meta one more time. When I say that it follows through right to the end, that's I'm referring to the fact that that is what motivates the, the killers. 
the killers are motivated by the creative death of a lot of franchises. Yeah. Unlike the Matrix where it gets dropped and it's just not part of anything really. No, you're right. At least they had the conviction to, to carry it through. Can I ask you about the number of people that get stabbed but then do not die? This is maybe something that happens in Scream, but Tara, played by Jenna Ortega, she gets stabbed quite a lot. She takes a lot of stabbings, and she lives. And Melissa Barrera, Sam, I think she gets stabbed in the stomach, but seems to brush that off. I'm sure someone else gets I think does either Neve Campbell or Courtney Cox get stabbed? I think someone gets, gets stabbed and doesn't Eve Campbell get shot? Yeah, and there's a lot of people getting stabbed but then recovering pretty quickly for, from it or being stabbed but still being mobile, like so mobile that I think how this isn't possible. I think that's when, when Sam is brutally murdering Richie at the end in a really like satisfying multiple stabbing where she says, <laughs> I'm the daughter of a serial killer and stabs him horribly. I'm sure she's already been stabbed in the stomach at that point. Yeah. Yeah, there is a slight suspension of belief, I think, with some of this. My my mate pointed out, actually, the most offensive one of those was the Jenny Ortega character. So she is just 10 minutes prior in hospital, struggling to wheel herself an inch. And the next scene, she's on crutches walking through um, a house party. And it's like, hang on a minute. You could hardly move. What what, yeah. what magical drugs have you had in the meantime that have changed everything? Yeah, and plays a pretty active role in the finale, even though she probably shouldn't even be alive, but definitely shouldn't be out of hospital walking. Yeah, and I do get that, you know, there's a crisis, a killer's on the loose, but I do question how safe it was to remove somebody who'd obviously been in, in quite critical condition from a hospital and just you know, escape on the run with no medical resources available. But there you go. It's, it's a horror film at the end of the day. We're not meant to question yeah. it too much. I mean, contrast, but there's, there's a then with David Arquette, does, he just takes one stabbing and he immediately starts to die. That Yeah, but that is a full-on gutting, isn't it? I think it's implied that his, his organs have basically fallen out of his body because he's right. he like, from... He disembowels him completely. Yeah. If it's an 18, they could have showed that. That would have been good. Exactly, and that's what I was talking about before. Because that, outside of that, which isn't that graphic, and the stab through the the neck, which through I think the is the biggest thing that got me, there's not that much that's that gruesome, is there? No, no. There's a lot of blood going around, but there's not a lot of guts. Yeah, people's yeah. guts spilling out. It probably isn't worth bringing up, but I'll ask you anyway. Jack Quaid. I've not seen him in anything other than The Boys. Obviously, he's the killer in this. Mm. What did you think of his performance? I He's quite a sweet, innocent guy in The Boys, and in this, he gets the chance to go very off-kilter and zany, and I thought he did it particularly well. Did you Do you agree? Or? Yep, he did do a good job in those final moments. I liked it. It was convincing. Yeah. Again, not scary, but he was convincingly unhinged. Yeah, He was not hinged. And maybe there's more evidence to his acting portfolio that I've not seen, but I'm sure that this performance might unlock further doors for him because he's obviously capable of quite quite a range. So I'm sure we'll see him in some other more challenging projects in the near future. But Boys Season 3 next, which I'm looking forward to. Have you got anything else? No. Nope.
Have we bled out? Is that the end? We, we've we fully dead? bled out of content, yeah. I think we should. Okay. Right, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthealspodcast.gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at inthealspodcast and leave us a five-star review and rating on iTunes. But fear not, this is not the end because as we have been for the last 85 episodes, we'll be back with another one next week. But James, the all-important question, what will we be reviewing? Belfast, written and directed by Kenneth Branagh. Tipped for many awards. I'm looking forward to it. Belfast. Do you remember the last Kenneth Branagh film we reviewed on this podcast? No, what was it? Oh, God. Oh, no. Artemis Fowl. Yeah, that was the one. Oh, nothing can sink to the unbelievable laws of that film, surely. Um, and plus, we already know this has been well reviewed, so it's not going to be quite as painful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, even though it is colourless. James, any tips or rules for existing in life in these horrific times that you may have reinterpreted from the screen films to fit everyday living? Always suspect the boyfriend, even if you are the boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs>